Did you? I didn't know if you had a question, Olivia, or not. I always have questions, as you know, so <laughs> you go ahead. Okay. <laughs> Hey, welcome to Marginally, a podcast about writing, work, and friendship. I'm Olivia, a consultant living in Ukraine and London, working on a novel and daydreaming about lots of other projects. And I'm Megan, a librarian, student, and freelance book indexer, querying my first novel, drafting a second, and researching a third. In this week's episode, we have the special privilege of having not one, but two guests, writers and friends, Emily Midorikawa and Emma Claire Sweeney. Emily and Emma are the co-authors of A Secret Sisterhood, The Literary Friendships of Jane Austen, Charlotte Bronte, George Eliot, and Virginia Woolf. They also co-run the fantastic blog about female literary friendship and collaboration, somethingrhymed.com. Emma is also the author of the award-winning novel Owl Song at Dawn, and Emily is a winner of the Lucy Cavendish Fiction Prize, and they both teach at New York University, London. We love talking to them about female friendship, how to collaborate with your friend on a creative project, how to deal with everything from ambition to jealousy, and we think that you'll really enjoy this interview. Thank you very much for coming on our podcast. We're really excited to talk to you. I guess just to start out, maybe if you could just tell us a bit about, we usually ask writers to talk about their sort of the mix of where they you know, view their creativity versus their day job or what they view as that. And then with you guys, this is a special bonus because we also want you to talk about your friendship and your collaboration and what you see that bringing to you. So there's a lot of things, maybe just quick intro to how you both view that. Yeah, I think for quite a number of years, our lives have been quite intertwined, both in terms of the writing, but also the jobs as well. Like we're both actually at work at the moment. We both work at uh, New York University's London campus and um, balance that. Well, Emma teaches somewhere else as well, um, but balance a bit of teaching with with writing on, on the other days. Yeah. So, um, how long have you taught here now, Emily? I think about a decade. <laughs> yeah. So I've I've been here thirteen years. Emily about ten, um, and I I recommended the job to Emily when a, a job here came up because I'd found that the teaching and writing had, had worked well for me in terms of um, it's a great excuse as a teacher to research and think about the things that you're wanting to think about anyway for your own writing. Um, and at the time, were you working in the library then? Um, yes, I think I was working for a public library at the time, yeah. Which actually, I think now you have quite fond memories of. <laughs> yeah, no, I do. I mean, I think there was, there was a period when I was just really enjoying doing a job where I could turn up, do the work, go home and just forget about it and just focus on writing. Um, it wasn't a particularly well-paid job, though. So in the end, I thought maybe doing something that would pay the bills a little bit better would give me a bit more time for writing. Yeah, so I think that's always the balance of, uh, throwing yourself into the job so that you will find it satisfying and that you'll be doing a good job for your students at the same time as it's obviously a job that can just seep out into the rest of your life and you know even one class a week I think can take up the whole week if you let it so also being quite strict about the division of time. How do you do that so it's funny because my my background is actually in public libraries as well and I am getting I actually kind of took a bit of a detour and worked after my children were born worked um freelance as a indexer so writing indexes um 
But I am now getting my school media so I can teach, but at at a junior high level, so at a secondary school level. Um, and so how do you then set those boundaries? Because I completely understand working freelancing is one that just, it just ate up my life. And it, and it, the, the returns on that were not high enough to justify it. Um, so that's something that I know. And I know quite a few of our listeners also do that. So I'm curious how you set, how you do set those boundaries. Yeah, Emily should talk first because Emily is supremely good. Well, I mean, I think the nice thing with the, the job that we do at NYU is that, you know, you have set times when you have to turn up for class. So, so you know, you've got to be there. Then I try and get all my preparation and, and marking done as much as possible on the days when I'm going to be in anyway. So I have a bit of separation between days when I'm out of the house teaching and days when I'm either in the library or at home working on my writing. Um, I think when we were working on the book together, A Secret Sisterhood, it, it becomes even more difficult to juggle timetables because not only are you juggling your own work time, paid work timetable with your own writing schedule, but you're sort of incorporating somebody else's <laughs> writing schedule as well. And, and I guess also taking note of when they're at work. In, a, in some ways, though, it, that perhaps made it easier because when you are accountable to somebody else, um, and you had deadlines in terms of providing them with work, and you also had times when you had to be sitting together in the same room. Um, so you had to organise quite a long time in advance, uh, and it wasn't just you, you were letting down. Not to say that I didn't let Emily down, I did <laughs> on several occasions, but um, but there was there was more of an incentive to, to work when you said you were going to work on the book. Um, yeah, I remember we came up with this quite detailed timetable right at the beginning. Colour coordinated. You know, yes. When we were going to have a single thing done. And of course, you know, life gets in the way. Um, and, you know, also there's just unforeseen things that come up. So we didn't stick to it. Absolutely. But I think broadly, you know, we made an attempt to stick to it and it kept us on track to some extent. So for me, actually, the harder thing than juggling the teaching and the writing um, which I think uh, over the years I've, I've managed to find ways to do what Emily does and to dedicate days to it um, and to not not touch it on other days. Uh, but what was even harder was juggling different writing commitments. So I was actually editing and publicising my novel at the same time as writing A Secret Sisterhood of Emily. And, and that was really difficult because it, it felt to me continually um, that I was neglecting something so if I was working on A Secret Sisterhood, I was neglecting the novel. And if I was working on the novel, I was neglecting A Secret Sisterhood. And so that was, for me, far trickier than juggling the teaching and the writing. Because it sort of occupies the same space, in a similar space in my brain, I suppose. Do you view, like, I'm interested in that process, partly because I always have too many projects going on, plus a day job or whatever else. Um, and so I have, like, all these things that are more natural for me to write and I'm really excited about them and I think I should be like you know pitching those ideas and then I also want to write a novel but it's definitely not as natural for me so I mean did you view any of those projects as being more like a day job or had had you already committed to them for example with you know agents or something like that like I guess how did you navigate that and I know both of you actually do other writing plus your teaching, plus this book. Um, so, yeah, it, both of you, how, how do you navigate that? And I guess, how does that, how do you balance them? Yeah, I think it, with A Secret Sisterhood, it when we first, well, 
just to kind of go back to the beginning, there was a time, I think, when both of us were concentrating predominantly on fiction. And um, we, I mean, to go right back to the beginning, we ended up having a conversation one day about how much we'd supported each other as writers and friends over the years. And we just started to wonder about um, writers of the past and whether they'd had similar friendships to ours. And we decided to start looking into this, um, which resulted in us doing like a few newspaper and magazine articles. And we ended up setting up, up a blog on this subject called somethingrhymed.com, which is actually still still running all these years later. And um, I think at this stage, we were sort of seeing this kind of friendship writing project that we were doing. It's more of a kind of a side project, perhaps, to the what we consider to be our main writing, which was the fiction. Um, but as we started to blog more about the subject and get sort of positive responses from readers who were sort of saying, we're interested in this, but we'd like to see something more than sort of just a 500 word or 700 word blog post. We started to think about writing a book together. And then obviously, you know, all the planning that goes into that, you know, um, it started to take over other aspects of writing. Exactly for me, it didn't, because at the same time I was, writing the novel or not writing the novel but redrafting the novel and I guess what's hard about that is that you're not in control of publishers timetables and so it I'd finished the novel and it was ready for the agent to submit um and so I kind of had felt like oh now I can turn my attention to our non-fiction project and throw myself into that but the way it worked with publishers timetables was that the the novel wasn't finished in terms of the editing and the publicity at the time that we were working to a deadline with a secret sisterhood. So I think for me, actually, I, I never felt able to fully throw myself into one or other until the very end of the process with a secret sisterhood mm-hmm. when the novel, you know, I felt like I'd done my job with publicizing it and I could leave it alone to make its way in the world. And so I, I think, I think for you, you were probably able to sort of put the fiction on pause for a Mm. bit. Uh, Whereas for me, I was trying to keep both in my mind at the same time, which I'd done before because I'd done a PhD in creative writing. And, but with that, I was a bit more in control of my own timetable. So I was able to control long periods of time where I just worked on my novel and then long periods of time when I just worked on my thesis. And, um, and I, I had to have them both in my mind at the same time with this, which it was a struggle. I never got over that feeling of, of guilt, really. <laughs> <laughs> and I found it hard to go back to fiction later because now I, I'm working on a, another novel. Emily's working on a, another non-fiction book. So Emily stayed on that track for a bit longer. And actually, for me, I, I was really surprised by how difficult it was to go back to fiction after the non-fiction period. And I think deep down I see myself predominantly as a novelist. And yes... It, it took a while to get back into that mindset. What helped you with that transition? I'm very curious about that. I think a lot of people, you know, move between different types of writing. So uh, I think it was so I'm writing a historical novel and that made it even trickier, I think, because um, I was trying to work out what the rules were. So we'd written a book about, you know, real life figures from history And we had used some of the skills of fiction in terms of writing scenes and trying to make it accessible. And then it was sort of doing something similar but different in terms of now I was writing a novel, but 
there needed to be some historical veracity. And and I at first I was being far too I wasn't letting my my imagination have much of a place in it. And I was like almost feeling like I needed to footnote it all. <laughs> um, like I, I literally considered not not for the publication, but for my own purposes, footnoting it to work out where I'd got everything from. And um and I just realized that that, that was really inhibiting my ability to write it so although the research still needed to be really rigorous and there needed to be gaps for the imagination for it to work as a novel and so I think it was giving myself some working out what the rules were and working out where I had freedoms and taking ownership of that again and it just took a bit of time and reading lots of historical novels (laughs) yeah and I think also perhaps just because you'd have this really really busy intense period haven't you you know like I think quite often we think you move from one project you finish it, and then you have a nice break and you move on to something else. I think people who don't write maybe have this idea that, you know, a book is finished the minute you write the end and it goes on. You know, they don't always realise, you know, so the editing process is like a promoting process. Um, but even without all of that, I think you have the fact that there was this such a, a tight overlap between yeah. these two projects, you're probably quite exhausted. Yeah. You know, you know I, I wish what I'd done had been to have uh, maybe a month where I just said, I'm not going to try to write. Uh, I'll go on a nice holiday for some of that time and you know I'll enjoy reading and I'll just give myself a bit of time Uh, but I didn't I tried straight away to get back into it and that I think that probably slowed things down in a way yeah well I think sometimes agents uh, encourage that don't they or just even if there's not a a professional person doing that you often feel like I should be getting on with this new project and and actually like you say sometimes just a bit of time can help yeah yeah definitely so I guess Emily's transition has been more into going from a collaborative nonfiction book to a nonfiction book on your own. Which, yeah, um, which, which is probably a lot easier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it has been like it has been easier in in, in some ways um, because it, it's it, it's dealing with a, a vaguely similar time period. Mm-hmm. It's a sort of a Greek biography about a number of of women. Um, you know, there are some there are some quite clear overlaps. Um, on the one hand, like it's quite nice to be doing a project on your own. Like, not that working with Emma wasn't in many ways a great project, but then I mean, there were certainly moments of tension along the way. And I think when you have those moments, you think, ah, oh, you know, it's so much easier to be doing this on my own. Of course, as soon as you actually start working on your own, you miss the other person you are writing with. You miss having someone who you can sound ideas off all the time. Um, you know, I think we both felt that even when when we ended up having, you know, arguments about, you know, which direction to take. I think often when we got to the end of that argument, finally, we'd feel that we'd actually come up with something that was much better than the two positions we were, like, arguing so adamantly for at the beginning. And when you're working on your own, obviously the only arguments you can have are really with yourself. Um, I I definitely think the draft that we got to our editor was far better than a draft we would have got had we been working alone because... It had been through so many drafts between the two of us anyway. And we send all our work to each other at some point. Um, and so I've read some of Emily's new book and I'm looking forward to getting another tranche through soon and, and vice versa. Um, but I don't think you feel that you can be asking someone to read as many drafts as we were doing when it was our joint <laughs> book. Um, and getting quite as invested in like the placement of that particular semicolon or whatever. Yeah, I mean, um, you don't have quite the same feeling of ownership. Like, obviously, if there's something, if Emma shows me something 
And I think that's really not working. I will be totally honest and tell her, but at the end of the day, you know, it's Emma's novel, it's her project, you know, it's up to her what she does. Whereas I think, you know, it's a joint project. You both invested in it and you both have to compromise. We haven't rowed at 3am about separate work. (laughs) 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 But I think compromise maybe isn't quite the right word because I don't, I think ultimately I don't look back on the book and see anything that I feel like I I would have rather not put that I compromised on that in the end I think through arguing it out we came to feel like we always came to something that was better than either of us had quite been arguing so that was a surprise I think I'd expected there would be compromises really so just briefly what what was your actual like the nuts and bolts of your actual writing process when you were working collaboratively um Olivia and I've been collaborating on this podcast project for gosh two years now and um have put together some small things but nothing nothing yet as big as an entire book but I am definitely curious about that yeah I think we were quite lucky in that we had got some practice in before we decided to pitch this to um well, our agents initially, and then then two editors. Um, so we had written uh, articles together. We'd obviously been working on the blog together. So at least I think going into the project, we did have a sense that this was so- we we could work together, and this was something that you know we had some sense of how to do. And we'd actually sort of established, I think, almost a joint voice through the articles we'd done together and through the blog posts. Um, so very initially with the articles, we literally sat next to each other and kind of debated every single cadence, every single point that we were trying to make. And so through doing that, I think we felt that we we knew how to write in a coherent way together. But we knew we couldn't do it that way for a whole book because A, it would never get finished and B, our friendship probably wouldn't have survived it. <laughs> yeah, so what we ended up doing was we divided up the initial research. So there's um, four sections to the book. Each of them deals with a different literary friendship. So you have Jane Austen and her amateur playwright governess friend Anne Sharp, um, Charlotte Bronte and the early feminist writer Mary Taylor, George Eliot and Harriet Beecher Stowe, and then Virginia Woolf and Catherine Mansfield. So each of us took on the primary research for two of those sections. Um, of course, then we would share research notes with each other, come in on the research at a later point. But we, we divided up that initial research and we also divided up the initial drafting. So whoever did the first research, say on the Austin and Sharp section, also did the first drafts of the chapters. Then the chapters would just end up going back and forth. And that's where the really complicated colour coordinated timetable came <laughs> in. So when we were going to exchange first drafts, when we were going to exchange second drafts, and then what, finally, once we'd got a full draft in second, third draft stage, we then sat down together. We actually went to a writing retreat in Portugal for a week and um, spent a week working really, really long hours doing a redraft with our editor's notes. And then when we came back to Britain, I, I basically moved into <laughs> Emily's house for a month <laughs> um, to, to get the final edits done. Yeah, and we had we definitely had quite a, a lot of late nights. Then it was it was more intense than I think we'd perhaps intense <laughs> anticipated initially, um, and probably more intense than I would have hoped to have be. But not through because we had been quite organised with our time. Um, 
but uh, again, you're not in control of publishers' deadlines, so various things changed that end, which meant that our time was really squeezed. Um, so it ended up coming out in Britain three months earlier than had been originally planned. So, um, so it was, yeah, it was intense. <laughs> intense is definitely the word. <laughs> yeah, so do you have any advice for other people who are looking to collaborate on a project and like maybe everything ranging from how do you know or how do they know if they're ready to do it with a friend and also any other practical tips? I think if you're wanting to embark on quite a long-term project with someone, it's probably good to test the waters, I think, by doing something similar, but um, smaller scale. Yeah, smaller scale. I think also, though, it needs to be the right project. Um, I think it's not as if, obviously, we've been friends for a long time, been sharing work for a long time, but with this idea of collaborating on a, on a particular project hadn't really come up in any serious way before. I think it was specifically because we wanted to write about writing friendship and there was kind of a real need, well, obviously a benefit, a, a benefit to writing the book from, you know, with two friends working on it. I don't think now I would just think, oh, I've got this new, well, for instance, I'm doing another nonfiction project now. I never really thought about saying to Emma, hey, do you fancy coming in on this as well? Yeah, I think it has to benefit the project. And I think you do have to put a lot of thought into it. Um, and again, Emily's quite good at that, at, at sort of looking ahead and, and thinking about the different consequences. I'm more likely to throw myself into things. Um, slightly more recklessly possibly and so I, I'm really glad that Emily put the thought in right at the beginning um before we even started the the um blog I think you thought quite carefully about how it might affect the friendship to be working together even you know at that point it was sort of work for free but it was work and it was kind of adding this sort of professional and public element to the friendship and I think you thinking that through led to us discussing it and then me thinking about it a bit more carefully um and you know because then you are you are sort of financially intertwined um if you're going to do something like write a book together um your your work habits your capacity or lack of capacity to manage your time all of it is going to impact on each other and we did find for a while that the the actual friendship aspect which had preceded our writing we'd become friends when we were teaching english in japan as young graduates and we were actually writing in secret at the time, even from each other. Um, so the friendship had come first, and then we'd finally, after about a year of being friends, admitted that we were both writing. And so that aspect of our friendship, that that aspect that wasn't about our professional lives, did get it didn't get lost, but it it sort of got minimised for maybe a, a year or two when we were really working intensively on the book, because every time we met, we were talking about the book. And we had pressing things to discuss. And yet there were really big things happening in our lives at the time, like new relationships and um, illnesses in the family and, and things like that that we did talk about, but it didn't take or occupy as much space in the friendship as it would have done if we hadn't been doing the book together. Um, so it was a weird experience of being like more intimate than before and also more less intimate than before. Yeah, I think, you know, in terms of sort of contact with each other every day, you know, we end up sort of exchanging loads and loads of emails, um, often phone calls as well. And just, you'd feel like you'd made contact so many times, but it was all just on this one particular thing. So actually one of the nice things about not working on the project um, or not writing at any rate has been like 
enjoying other aspects of our friendship. I mean, having said that, like, I think when it's been really fun also, it's, it's when we've been promoting the book yeah. together, because actually publicity is, is really fun when you can share it and do events together and that sort of thing. Yeah, so we got to do a tour in the USA and um, doing that together was really fun. And we actually also got to combine it with meeting up with a lot of old mutual friends because because we met when we were quite young and um, we met lots of, uh, we have a lot of friends who now live in America from our days in Japan. So so that was really a, a fun time. And, and a contrast, I think, to when I was publicizing the novel and doing it on my own, I'd, I still really enjoyed the events, but I found them very uh, kind of emotionally draining. Um, I think partly because you're the one person that everyone's, looking at and whereas with the two of us we always knew that if there was a moment where we froze or where we just couldn't quite think about how to answer the question immediately we could rely on the other one to to step in um and just that it, it you were it was a shared experience it wasn't the pressure wasn't all on on you um so it definitely made it that feel sort of more celebratory I think. yeah definitely you write you write a bit about your friendship in, in the introduction to your book and 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 your relationship. But um, for our listeners who aren't as familiar, um, could you just talk a little bit about your history? Um, and you know, Olivia and I have been we actually met in college and were not friends at first, and then <laughs> decided for various reasons that we actually probably should be very good friends. And so we ended up as roommates and um, just really close friends for the last, like, what, 20 years now. And so, and, and, and like you, like you, we did not share that we were writing um, for a long time. And so it's, it's just funny. It's funny to watch you. I'm I'm wishing she was here in the room with me rather than all the way across the world. Um, But it's, it's just been really fun talking to you because I feel like, um, there's definitely a lot of similarities and, um, you know, finishing each other's sentences and things like that. So, <laughs> but just could we like talk a bit more about the friendship aspect specifically? Um, cause as Olivia said at the beginning, that is definitely an, an aspect of our podcast. It's very important to the two of us personally, but isn't necessarily something that is as public. Um, so kind of what's your, what's your story? Yeah, so we met when we were both 21. Um, We'd both just graduated from university and had decided to apply for a program called the JET program, which places native English speakers in Japanese schools. Um, I'm half Japanese, half English, so I'd always had an interest in Japan and it seemed somewhere that, you know, I, I thought I'll just spend a year out there learning about the culture would be really really great um and you had you spent some time in japan before yeah you? i had I'd, with, my, with my parents i'd had a couple of holidays there um yeah. whereas i uh, knew almost nothing about japan <laughs> and um i i wanted to have a year or so um to think about the future after graduating and um to see a bit more of the world and i actually I'd done some voluntary work uh, in India when I'd been at university and I had really, had really loved it and really wanted to go back. Um, but the organization I'd worked with in India had told me that um, of the whole group of people who'd gone out there, I was the only one who was of no use to them <laughs> um, being an English lit graduate. Um, so so I, I knew that wouldn't work. 
and I did want to do something where I could potentially be a bit a little bit useful I'm not entirely sure how useful we were as English <laughs> teachers actually but um so this Japan option came up and so I it was a bit of a leap in the dark for me um which I now look back on people say it was very brave because I went to a very rural mountain village in um a quite a rural conservative island in Japan but actually it wasn't brave it was it was just sort of the ignorance of youth <laughs> yeah so we actually met just before we departed um for Japan they organized kind of an orientation program in London to just sort of try and get people on some kind of um you know give them some sort of sense of what they were going to be doing teach them some very basic language skills um and so we actually met each other there and um one of the things that I remember, I, I liked Emma very, very much straight away. And one of the things that I felt quite sad about was I, I knew that we were going to the same prefecture. So I guess like the same same state, but we were not going to be that close together geographically. So I thought, oh, this is going to be a real shame because I've met this person who I really like. And maybe I'll just never see her again. And well, the thing that I most remember is, um, so Emily was, was going to be about an hour and a half away yeah. from me by car. Um, and so I was going to be in this little mountain village and Emily was going to be in the uh, capital of the of the prefecture, um, which is a, a city uh, population wise, I think, similar to Liverpool in the UK. Um, so a, a population wise, a decent sized city. Um, what I didn't realize at the time was that in Japanese terms, that was not a particularly big city and, and probably not known as a kind of cultural center necessarily. Um, but Emily, I overheard her complaining about, you know, being sent out to the sticks. And um, and I thought, oh, you know, I was kind of excited to be going out to the sticks because I thought I'd get to see things I wouldn't have got to see otherwise. Again, not perhaps fully appreciating the reality of what that might mean in daily life, having never lived anywhere rural before in my life. Um, so I thought I'm either going to end up best of friends with Emily or I'm going to think that she's sort of too cool for school <laughs> um, but we did become friends and actually because all of the English people well, most of the English teachers were quite sort of spaced out there you did make the effort to travel to see each other I think actually in our case we did make kind of a, a special effort um, because we'd realized we, we did like each other um, but then we also probably saw each other on our own quite a bit whereas yeah. there were quite a few opportunities for kind of group activities and I think we made the effort to see each other on our own and also when we did go to parties we just found ourselves inevitably kind of drifting together and um so yeah, kind of gravitating into a corner together and the party would be going on elsewhere <laughs> but we'd be kind of having like our own conversations um so yeah we, we realized we got on really well but there was this real kind of shyness I think not in other aspects of our friendship but in terms of the writing to reveal that we both wanted to do this and, it, and it's it's strange to look back on this now because, you know, writing's long been such an important part of our friendship and something that we're quite open and public about. Um, but at the time, you know, it took us almost the entire year yeah. to admit to each other that we both wanted to write you know, professionally, I guess. And I think, to be honest, the only reason that it came up even then was because you were getting ready to go back yeah. Well, well, to leave Japan I was going to be staying for another year so we sort of had this farewell dinner where it, where the subject came up yeah. um, very gradually actually and it is easier to trade confidences when one person's about to leave for the other <laughs> side of the world I think um, yeah it, it did 
feel like it took a lot of courage to articulate that we were writing and that we had ambitions as writers. I think because it was something that we both really, really wanted and to admit that we were trying also opened up the possibility of failure. Um, and so that felt like a huge thing. And actually we did both fail lots of times in lots of ways. Um, so partly in terms of, you know, inevitably the early writing was pretty bad, a lot of it. Um, and then secondly, just trying to make it work professionally. Um, the road to publication for both of us was, was a long one. Um, and actually, I, I think one of the reasons why we became so interested in female literary friendship was the way in which that friendship had been so crucial to us during those moments of failure and in terms of kind of retaining stamina. And if we hadn't had someone who understood it from the inside and who was also trying and also struggling, um, I don't think either of us, I actually don't think either of us would have given up, but I do think it would have been hugely more difficult. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. So that's what got us thinking about, so did the female writers of the past, who we especially admire, did they really do it all on their own? Um, because we knew that some of them had struggled in similar ways, or were they perhaps not quite as isolated as the mythologies might suggest? Well, I think, okay, I have a lot of thoughts on that, just the way that you stopped uh, right there on a kind of cliffhanger. So definitely I'd like to hear more about like what you found out from female friendships. But I just, if I can interject with my own small speech, um, <laughs> is I think, I mean, maybe this is what is what you've already found, but the myth of this sort of sole male writer is already a huge myth, right? Like there's always this crew of people in the background that make male writers' lives uh, work, right? Um, but I think in particular, just the way that, you know, women communicate a lot and a lot of times, like historically, even now, it might be in writing. And so you're already writing a lot of, of things like communicating in a, the written way. So it already makes that myth probably even less relevant. But I think you're also trying to take this like male writer myth and just put it on top of uh, women and say like, you know, the, these women or these writers are just like superstars on their own. Right. As opposed to putting them within circles and conversations that were going on at the time. But anyway, that's personal speech. Feel free to comment or not. <laughs> I mean, I think there is this this stereotype, isn't there, of the isolated writer working away and her, their garrets, you know, and um, not coming into contact with anyone else that might any ideas that might sully their sort of, I don't know, their, their, their writerly approach. I think what was quite interesting to us was I mean I think there definitely is that stereotype of the writer both male and female but when we started thinking about historical examples of writing friendships um actually when we did think of examples of friendships that have been uh, celebrated quite often we found that they were male friendships so you know Fitzgerald and Hemingway and Coleridge and Wordsworth Byron and Shelley um yeah, so I think there's a, a difference between, I think men are often seen as um, not having helpers to facilitate the work, but they often are seen as having sparring partners who help to fire the imagination or to push them intellectually. Um, whereas women, I think, often people do think about, um, oh, did they have a sister or a mother who helped with the cooking chores or what have you to create the time. Um, 
but often what is neglected is uh, the more intellectual or creative um, partnerships uh, that, that might have helped for the writing to happen and the ones that perhaps a, a female writer had chosen outside the home um, rather than the kind of relationships that are sort of built into domestic kind of tradition. Um, so that's what we began to wonder, like, could they really have been these one-offs or were they not maybe part of a bigger community of, of female uh, intellectual and creative conversation? I think it's also quite interesting that you use the word sparring partners because I think quite often a big part of the myth of these male friendships is the times when they fell out and that's kind of seen as, you know, all part and parcel of a good, robust intellectual friendship. So, you know, either, yeah, sort of, and I think often it's actually kind of like either sort of physical bust-ups or, you know, um, thinking about things like um, Hemingway and Fitzgerald's drinking sprees that could sometimes end up with all sorts of things being said to each other and elements of tension. And I think we both found that when we were looking at examples of female friendships, if you have these moments of tension, I'm kind of particularly thinking of, in the case of Virginia Woolf and Catherine Mansfield, you have quite a tempestuous friendship. I think there's less acceptance of that sort of sparring um, element in a, in a female writing friendship. Yeah, if, if, if female writers are competitive with each other, then they're often um, portrayed as purely rivals. Whereas the men, I think rivalry can be uh, embraced in the friendship in terms of how it's viewed. And actually, when we looked into these female friendships, we realised that, of course, rivalry was a part of the friendship uh, in their cases too. And in the case of Mansfield and Wolf, you know, Wolf's jealousy of Mansfield, which she openly admitted at times, uh, was very beneficial to her. And it didn't stop her from feeling that Mansfield was a friend. Uh, it was a very complicated friendship, but it was a friendship from which she benefited and she did acknowledge that. Um, so it's interesting that like the women themselves could be very insightful about the role of rivalry in their own friendships, but the way that biographers have chosen to remember it is often not as insightful as the way that the women themselves <laughs> portrayed it. Right, because jealousy is or rivalry or competition is not considered a healthy thing for women, right? It's, we're both portrayed as, you know, women are, are, are always portrayed as being, you know, bitchy and competitive and, and it's a very negative thing. But at the, at the same time, it's the complete opposite. It's very unfeminine. And so, you know, it's like women are always backstabbers and that's considered very feminine, but at the same time, it's also, it's a very unfeminine trait and you shouldn't be, be that way and it's it's very contradictory and I was I was actually thinking about both the um, Wolf and Mansfield thing as well as um, George Eliot and Harriet Beecher Stowe's like massive fallout and mm. and how interesting that story was um, but it is it's very true it's it's just human right to have competition and um, that was that was one of the things that I found so interesting I think it might relate to a slightly wider thing too that it's not traditionally considered feminine for women to be ambitious mm -hmm. um, and that the, the rivalry sort of feeds into a woman having desires and wanting to do what she can to achieve them uh, and those desires being for, primarily for her rather than um, something that she's doing to facilitate her husband's desires or her children's desires um, and that's one of the things I found fascinating that all of the women we wrote about were ambitious and you know Jane Austen's family um, 
after her death, tried to portray her as someone who was, you know, just scribbling for her own entertainment and to keep the rest of the family entertained over the fireside. But in fact, you know, all the evidence suggests that she was extremely ambitious. She did want to be published. She negotiated for better financial deals with publishers, and sometimes herself um, directly. So um, I think if you are ambitious, then rivalry might well feed into that. And um, so in a way, we wanted to kind of celebrate female ambition and the way in which sisterhood and ambition and rivalry could all be part of the same relationship. Yeah, because I think sort of traditionally, the way that we think of the term ambitious man and the way that we think of the term ambitious woman has a completely different connotation. You know, an ambitious man might be someone, you know, who's, um, you know, planning great things you know perhaps you know he, he's going to bring glory on his family yeah. and you know um co-workers and, and that sort of thing through this whereas I think often when traditionally when we think of ambitious women we think of someone who's kind of you know scrambling over all other women to get to their place at the top and um, I think I guess what um we sort of learned from these this book and one of the things we wanted again to celebrate mm-hmm. was the idea that actually when women do make massive successes of themselves and their work, as in the case of um, a lot of the writers we wrote about, they've always done it not by trampling over other women, but by being supported by and giving support to other women. And of course it makes sense that through joint efforts, we're far more likely to, um, to, to kind of call into question some of the power dynamics that come with gender stereotypes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, you know, of course, the myth is that women do it alone because otherwise we'd have to admit that there's more than one woman at a time who can achieve things. Exactly. And that's what we tend to realise, that actually seeing that is far more subversive than talking about sort of one genius. Yeah, yeah. So to bring it back around, um, how, how do you two deal with, because I'm sure, I know with Olivia and I, we've, we find often we are at different points um, in our journey at different times. So we're not, we're not both finishing a draft at the same time. And luckily so far we haven't been, you know, both pursuing the same thing at the exact same time. We're just sort of staggered. Um, So how have you, how have you found yourselves? um, I guess not necessarily as rivals, but how have you found yourselves pursuing your own separate things um, together. Yeah. So initially, when we first became friends, that none of this was really a problem. We were both uh, really <laughs> about our writing journeys. Neither of us had really achieved anything of of substance. Neither of us really had any idea of exactly where we were going. But we were supporting with each other to try and find out a bit more about you know the craft of writing and also, I guess, the publishing industry. Um, but you're right. I think as you go further along with your journeys you know, particularly when you're working on separate projects, these sorts of issues do do come up. And I think actually it was something we sort of started to talk about before it had really reared its head in any kind of yeah. um, big way. I think just because right from the beginning we'd realised that we had something quite precious in our friendship, you know, someone else in a very similar situation and that, you know, by supporting each other we could probably both, um, you know, kind of make this journey together. I think it, was, it actually was this quite early fear that one of us at one point was going to zoom ahead of the other. And, you know... No, I don't think we thought 
one of us was going to zoom ahead as in sort of intellectually or creatively mm. just in terms of the um the the luck of the draw with the industry actually mm. so I, I think we've probably felt like the really important thing the writing itself we were likely to to you know there was no reason why we wouldn't continue to go along at a similar sort of pace because we were helping each other and we were both investing a lot of time and thought and able to do so similarly but yeah the idea that someone would get more recognition than the other but I actually remember now the specific thing I think that prompted our first conversation about this which was that um uh, Emily and I for long periods of our friendship have lived quite far away and it's only really been in, in the past several years that we've lived quite close by and so we used to have these long phone calls and we had a phone call and you mentioned that you'd applied for a fellowship or an award yeah something like that and um and I had also applied for it and and at the time I just kind of it was the first time this had ever happened to us and I just sort of froze and and didn't say anything and put the phone down and then I think I called you straight back didn't I and said you know I didn't know what to say but I've applied for it too um and so then we had a conversation about okay well this is this might happen again in the future you know we are going to apply for the same things maybe our books will be sent to the same publishers maybe we'll end up wanting the same agent um so we just had a, a conversation about agreeing that one we'd always be honest with each other and two we'd always share opportunities even if um you know if, the, if it felt they were equally applicable to both of us we'd let the other one know and I guess we it just came to an acknowledgement that actually the success of one would help the other it it was never going to be a hindrance to one of us for the other to be successful we can help each other in all sorts of practical and uh, kind of emotional ways yeah I think I mean it's a hard conversation like I think Megan and I are mostly writing in different enough genres at the moment that it isn't come, it doesn't come up but even when we first started this podcast I think we started before we started like actually recording a podcast we started just sending voice memos sort of back and forth um and one time it was like I'm really jealous like I can't even remember what she said but I mean we were jealous of each other's routines uh because she had like big chunks of uncontrollable time or basically not controlled time like she could decide her time a little bit more easily than I could but I don't have kids and I have like huge chunks of time for example in the evening or weekends or something that are also kind of undisturbed and so I think because we started talking about jealousy early and we did an episode and I think it's a really important thing to just like say what your emotion is and not hide it um, and we also sort of said, like, here's our ground rules for our, like the podcast or our friendship or something like that. So I think it makes sense to just actually talk about your feelings and just get them out into the open and and come up with some system that works for that. Yeah, because I, I guess when we were just talking about uh, this subject, then we were talking more about you know, things that you might achieve. But actually, there have definitely been times in both of our lives where one of us has seemed to have much, much more on than the other um obviously you were giving the example of when you had um two book projects on the go but actually you know things in our personal lives and that sort of thing um and i guess we we've, we've sort of tried we've tried to obviously support each other through periods like that but i think it's also maybe a case of if, if one of you is really not managing to get very much writing done um 
it can sometimes feel like a bit of an imbalance when you're sharing work with each other. You know, if one of you's in this period where you're just producing loads and the other one, you know, for whatever reason, personal commitments or um, work commitments is producing very little. I think that can sometimes end up in a period where it feels like, for instance, sharing work becomes quite unequal. But I think when you've become, when you've been friends for a long time, you know that things are going to go back the other way. So I think we tend to not, I mean, I, I tend to not feel like, oh, I've been sharing lots of things with Emma and, and she's hardly been sharing anything with me. I think it always balances itself out. Because we've been sharing work now for almost 20 years, I suppose. <laughs> um, then, yeah, I, I don't think a year where one's doing all the reading and the other's doing all the uh, writing feels problematic because you know that the next year it'll end up being the other way around. Um, so that in the long term, it definitely balances out and also that it's not necessarily about the volume um uh, yeah I think it also now we're lucky to have quite a few friends who write um and I think one of the things I've learned is is the futility of comparing yourself to to your writer friends um so I, I have plenty of friends who write a lot quicker than I do I'm a really slow writer um but actually I've realized that probably the amount of time it takes to write a whole book and, and to have it ready is similar. It's just that the, the way we draft is different. Um, so I, I think, I don't think we really compare our process. No, no. Um, but there definitely have been times when we probably felt envious of each other's uh, like personal setups and the, the ways that, that we do or don't have time and um, the sort of support we have from the other people in our lives. But I think that's also been something that we've always been quite open about because maybe partly because the friendship did precede the writing that the we'd always had a friendship where talking about personal aspects and uh, different relationships that actually all of that is going to inform your writing. Um, but that yeah. was something that was very natural to us to talk about. Yeah, and I think actually my friendship with, with Emma is, is, is somewhat different from most of my other writing friendships. Most of my other writing friendships you know, we became friends as writers. Maybe it became a more personal um, friendship after that, but that was the initial thing that drew us together. Whereas in the case of us two, it was like the other way around. Yeah. I have one more question that is a good, like, final question. So I want to give Olivia a chance to... Um, no, do your final thing. question. I okay. just really liked that. Yeah, so that's I did yeah. too. Well, and one of the things that I've noticed, um, especially thinking about that particular discussion about... Um, Olivia's and my jealousy of each other's sort of, I guess, time situations and it, her being envious of my, my unstructured time really showed me that there were things about my situation that were good, right? Like you, when somebody else is envious of something that you have, it, it makes you realize that, well, you do have some advantages. Um, maybe I did have disadvantages as well, but you know, they were the, so that, I think that really helps, um. But if you were to talk to some people um, if, about starting a writing partnership, and either from an established friendship, um, as the four of us have all done, um, or starting finding a good writing partner that's going to be maybe a lifelong um, commitment, right? Because in a way, it really is... I mean, it really is like a, a, a lifelong relationship. Um, and if you're fortunate enough to have begun it as friends who are in it for 
for the long haul, then, you know, it's just adds an additional element. But, um, I think finding, finding a writing partner is sort of like online dating. And so it's been, or dating in general. So it's been kind of nice for Olivia and me to find that, um, I guess, discover that additional facet of our friendship rather than having to go out and find somebody new. But, um, when you're, when you're just starting out and you're looking for that person and you're establishing that friendship, I guess, what would you, what's, what's some advice that you would give? Or just some thoughts on that? I would say it is, a, I mean, it's, it's difficult for us in the sense because that's not how we did it. Um, but I suppose one of the things I feel like I've really learned from Emily is is the importance of honesty and the importance of approaching even difficult subjects and, and not just sort of uh, shying away from them. And I suppose when you're, when you're dating, you have to, actually to make it work, you do have to be honest and you have you have to not pretend to be someone that you're not. And so I think right from the early stage, if you're looking for a writing friend, I think people do sometimes think of it a little bit like asking someone out on a date. It can be quite nerve wracking to suggest, you know, shop, sharing work particularly, like it's a kind of intimate thing. Yeah. And so I, I think probably having the courage to be honest is, is really important. Yeah, and I think actually when having uh, finally admitted after a year of friendship, that we were both writing. I mean, this again feels so strange now, but it took us maybe like another year to actually share work with each other. I think because we were both so near the beginning of the writing process, we both realised we were probably not that skilled. But I think we also both had this like additional fear that we might not like each other's work. So not in terms of necessarily how good we thought it was, but it might just be something about it that wouldn't appeal to, to the other to the other person. And I think we kind of worried that that would possibly end up ruining our friendship. So I guess we weren't actually thinking about lying to each other. No. You know, um, <laughs> I guess we probably would have been honest, but it would have been quite, quite difficult. Um, so I think, yeah, honest, honesty is, is really important. I think also, like, if you're thinking about a writing friendship or partnership in terms of sharing work or possibly collaborating, you do need to kind of make sure that you like the work like you know to, to some it's not necessarily it's going to be the work like there's people who I share work with you know that we write quite differently but there has to be something about the work that's interesting to me yeah. but also something that I feel that I can help with yeah you know if I just think it's totally flawless or something I don't think that's uh, particularly or if it's just a genre that you have no way into because yeah. you never read it and yeah. you're not going to be useful and if you are actually thinking of working together on one project I think it's really important that you're equally invested in it and that it's it feels as if you both own it equally um so Emily actually was the first one to talk about female literary friendship um so it was her idea and we were sitting in a friend's garden and when she first mentioned it um but then from that moment on uh we each came up with ideas about how we might explore that so I think it, it was my idea to pitch articles to newspapers and then we did that. And then Emily's idea to set up a blog, but my idea about how to format the blog, like what what structure it might take. And so as it went along, it, it very quickly became an idea that felt as if it was both of ours. And actually our American That's editors, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, they said um, that it was really rare to come across a, a writing partnership where there wasn't a boss <laughs> um, that we were both genuinely equal in it yeah because I think it had come up because um, 
one of the editors had asked somebody else in the company, when I send emails to these two, who do I send it to? Who's the senior partner yeah. in this arrangement? And, you know, it's all been explained to her. No, there is no, you just send it to both of them. And she, she I mean, initially she wasn't very happy with no. this, was she? She was saying, no, there needs to be one key contact. There needs to be one person who's, like, organising this. There's bound to be one person, I suppose, who's more invested I think, yeah. in a way. But that's really not been the case. Yeah, and I, I sort of can't see how it would work with a book that you were writing 50% of each. I mean, obviously different if you have uh, a group of people contributing to a book and one who's the organiser and maybe the editor of the collection or something. Um, but in a book like ours, uh, I think it, it would have... I just can't see how it would have worked if one person had not been putting in as much time and effort and yeah. intellectual and creative energy as the other. Yeah, and I think so by the time we got to the end of the writing process, we really felt, you know... If, when you took everything to it into account, not just that we've both been equally invested in it, but we put an equal amount of effort in, which I think is something that can mm -hmm. sometimes end up, you know, being a, a point of tension yeah. in, in a collaboration. If at the end you feel like, you know, I carried that person or you feel like, oh, actually I didn't do very much in comparison to them. So I suppose also being uh, open and honest with each other about uh, the stuff that's outside the writing but linked to it. So there was a, a lot of administrative work and a lot of um, kind of journalism, a lot of publicity stuff that we had to divide up. And, and being uh, fair about that, but also being honest about um, what we could achieve and when we could do it um, so that we shared it in a way where we weren't likely to let each other down repeatedly. <laughs> mm -hmm. And being honest about what's going on in your lives outside of the writing, because, um, you know, you'll you'll there's always a time when one person has more personal commitments than the other. And it's important to recognize that it does balance out or, or it's important to structure things so that it does to ensure that it balances out. Um, we're really fortunate in that, you know, just over time things do, they just even out. Um, but yeah. Yeah. I think that was part of the, the difficulty when we were writing so intensively together and during the period where we maybe weren't actually talking so much about the other things in our life which in lives <laughs> <laughs> uh, which inevitably are, are going to feed into the the writing that we do together so um I think you know yeah I was getting involved in a new relationship that and again I was being guilty that that was some <laughs> the time that I was giving to him I wasn't necessarily putting into the book and so I think that probably also fed into why we weren't talking so much about these other stuff because, and, and that, so that could have been quite dangerous, but I think we sort of managed, managed to realize what was going on and sort of yeah. rectify that before it was too late. Yeah. And then I guess there was also a time limit on it, you know, at the end of the day, yeah. we, we, um, this book does have to be delivered by this date. It does have to come out by this date. So it didn't seem as if this was stretching decades into the future and I think because we're also both the kind of people who actually do make deadlines ultimately that yeah. I don't think I've ever ever thought that the book wouldn't get done and wouldn't get done to our satisfaction mm. so there was a a bit of a safety net in that in terms of I think us both knowing that that's sort of how we work you trusted each other, which helps. So yeah. it's really funny because this this whole discussion of all of the focus becoming your relationship changing and the focus on a project and losing sight of your own personal lives is very similar to what happens a lot of times when 
a couple has a child and suddenly you've spent it's such an intense focus on this child and keeping it alive and making sure everything's okay and keeping yourselves alive, honestly, um, that it takes a while to remember that you're each individual human beings with other needs, um, especially if one parent is doing more of the caregiving than the other, um, and to have to come back around. And, you know, honestly, my, my children are eight and six and, it's something that we still struggle with is, is just remembering to be human grown up people with lives and jobs and interests and things and, and make a point of talking about it and, and making it, you know, sometimes you have to kind of, it feels almost forced in a way to say, Oh yes, like this is this artificial conversation we're going to have about our, you know, hopes and dreams, or even just something that happened today that does not involve the children. Um, and it's really funny because it's just they're very similar, and so I can I can under, actually understand it from both both perspectives. Um, you know, it, when we were talking about um, working together, not just being a creative process, but also a sort of financial one in terms of uh, that aspect of your lives becoming intertwined in a way that might not be usual for friends um, to have. I was thinking about um, children and divorce situations in that you know. Emily and I will always have that book that is a, a joint thing in the world and that has also has joint kind of practical um, consequences. Um, and, and you've got a sort, a sort of obligation to look after that book and, and see it well. Yeah. <laughs> um, so not, not that it's the same as children, but I think there is, there is something about a long-term consequences out in the world that you're both jointly responsible for yeah. that, that mm-hmm. shares resonance with that. Yeah. No, I think that's really interesting. I feel like we could talk to you forever. So hopefully we can meet at some point in real life. But we really, really appreciate your time. And this was really interesting. I think it's one of the more like genuine. And also I learned a lot about uh, female friendship over the ages. So I think all of that is really good. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Yeah, I've really been enjoying your podcast episodes and seeing you on Instagram and that sort of thing. So I'm really glad we, we got to connect in this way. Yeah, and I'm glad that I got to benefit from Emily being on Instagram. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and that's it for this week. You can find us online at marginallypodcast.com and on Instagram at marginallypodcast. Our email is podcast at marginallypodcast.com. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to our newsletter. The sign-up form is on our website. And if you enjoy the show, please consider rating it and leaving a review in your podcast app and or sharing an episode with a friend. This will help us to grow our community. Thanks for listening and happy writing. Marginally is produced by the two of us, Megan and Olivia. So excuse any amateur issues. We're working on it. Theme music is It's Time by Skarika Rikaska. Show notes for every episode are available at marginallypodcast.com. If you enjoyed this episode of Marginally, you might also enjoy one of our favorite podcasts, Hashtag Am Writing with Jess and KJ. Every episode is full of great information and encouragement. Look for it wherever you get your podcasts or find the link in our show notes. Thanks for listening. Oh, sorry. Oh, no, go Megan. ahead. No, do you keep I going. Was just gonna, okay, I was going to...